Hello and welcome to episode 51 of A Link to the Cast. I am your host this week, Mark Robinson. Joined with me on the line is Jack Lazell. Jack, how are you doing? I'm very good, thanks, mate. Back already. Yeah. This week on your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera, we will talk about Dirt Rally, Final Fantasy XV, Resident Evil 7, Classic FM, Tekken 7, and more esports. And then finally, we will finish talking about one of our favourite games of all time, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2. So Jack, you're with me here this week as Dave is out on assignment and I just want to say thank you very much for coming at relatively short notice to uh, to come and chat about video games with me. I don't know what that says about my life that I can join you at relatively short notice, but uh, well, I thanks think, very much, mate. I think it's like a three-way thing because like at short notice I will come on for the football podcast or, you know, like between the three of us we're all kind of pretty tragic individuals. Yeah, that's true. Um, I I have actually got football on next to me as well. So, (laughs) video games info on my laptop and football on to the right of me. Uh, And here I am, stuck in the middle with you. It is the League Cup. Oh, the League Cup. (laughs) Let's just do. Let's just do the football podcast. I was going to say, because if it was Champions League, uh, I would be very impressed that you would take time to talk to me while that was on in the background, unless it was, I don't know, Porto or something. Yeah, no one likes Portuguese anything, do they? Uh, Especially I, that Jose Mourinho fella. Who the fuck is he? <laughs> um, yeah, no one also seems to like Trump at the moment. Boom, how about that for a segue? Uh, the world has not been destroyed <laughs> just yet. So while we uh, are still here, we will talk about video games. Uh, yeah, that's, that's all a shit show, isn't it? Oh, uh, I mean, well... Th- <sighs> you know... I'm lost for words, as you can tell. Good the, there's so many sen- sentence fillers and stumbles and stuff that I can throw out. But yeah, I, I don't think that I could uh, lampoon or do justice to satirically or seriously what's going on in politics at the moment. So I don't know, man. Just just sit back, try not to think about it and and hopefully we won't all die in a nuclear winter at some point yeah there's um there's a really good tweet doing the rounds at the moment about um people saying that they would never have predicted that uh like a dystopian future or in all the kind of novels like 1984 that the rebellion would come at the hands of a a national park twitter account (laughs) yeah Uh, i mean uh, Russell Brand said that there was going to be a revolution a few years ago, didn't he? He did, so, didn't he? I you know, know. I'm, I'm, sh- I'm, sh- I'm sure everyone loves the fact that he's right, because everyone really respects everything that Russell Brand... That clairvoyant Brand. Russell Brand, who would have thought that, hey? Yeah, it's not just hair. There's a brain under there, apparently. No, I, I like Russell. I, I like Russell Brand. He's um, He can be kind of sneakily intelligent when he wants to be uh, underneath whatever the fuck is going on um at face value what have you been up to like let's let's not talk about trump too much longer what have you been up to <laughs> yeah unfortunately i haven't followed swallowed a thesaurus like russell brand so uh no. the articulation probably won't be in the same uh, ballpark <laughs> but w- what i've been up to is 
uh, starting a new job. Uh, I'm a demand forecaster now, guys. I don't know. I don't know what you think of that, but wow, we, we, that, that's me now. We won't name company names, but is that under the same company as we've been working? It is under the same corporate umbrella. Oh, yes, okay, I, 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 I will not. Yeah, I will not dish out my company name, but I, I am now a guy that predicts sales and uses math and stuff. Oh, and uh, wow. yeah, it's it's interesting to say the least. Um. Uh, more work pay better you know those kind of questions yeah 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 good all of that more wow. responsibility more work a little bit more money so it's all good you has, know has uh, to be said that between uh, top of the league happy days but between the two of us the <laughs> idea of you having kind of more responsibility actually between the pair of us either of us having any kind of responsibility uh from the idiots that we were when we were about 15 to where we are now it's 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 kind of weird. Um, like I'm turning 29 uh, on this this Friday, and like I don't know. It's how, where, where did time go? What is going on? I don't know, man. Time is just what happens when you're not. I don't really feel much. And you know when people say this, when they're old, they're like, "Oh, I still feel like I'm 18 mentally," and you're like, "Shut up, you old son of a." bitch but like now i am 29 and i'm like shit i really don't feel that much different to when i was 15 nah, well i mean i f- i think i'm a little bit more docile which might just be kind of my physical state starting to break down but like i i don't feel quite as uh <laughs> i don't feel quite as chaotic in the head as i used to be which is good i'm happy about that Ah, uh, yeah, like those chemicals will balance themselves out eventually. Sure. Yeah, I, I just find I tend to not get as worked up about things anymore as I used to. Yeah. Um, I quite like a good rant every now and then. Ah, uh, you know, but I, things don't deeply annoy me anymore, and I think just become a little bit more open to, uh, just the world in general. Like you spend so much time when you're like in primary school i think trying to make friends and and trying to kind of just be part of of the gang and then when you get to a certain age in secondary school you almost kind of like no this is who i am now i want my own social sphere and i i want i i want people around me who like the same music and hate the same things as me and stuff like that and and then when you're older again you just kind of relax more and you know like you you still hate that music that people listen to, but you know it doesn't make you want to, you know, kill anyone anymore. Yeah. So I don't know. Interestingly, that will. Uh, I think some of that conversation will fall into the the book club feature that we'll be talking about later. But until then, let's talk about what we've been playing this week. Hey, check it out! I learned the baseline from Final Fantasy Two. Scott, you are the salt of the earth. Oh, thanks. I meant scum of the earth. Thanks. Jack, what have you been playing this week? I have been playing Final Fantasy XV, or XV, if you are not familiar with Roman numerals and such. Yeah, so, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm uh, excited to talk about this because I've been seeing a lot about it and I'm I'm kind of a latecomer to Final Fantasy. Um, I'm still working my way through quite a few of them but this this one's looked pretty interesting and obviously there's a 10-year development hell uh behind it um 
yeah, how, like, does it feel like a ten-year-old game? Like, talk talk me through your kind of thoughts and feelings. How, how, actually, first of all, how, like, how many hours have you put in, have you put into it so far? Uh, thirty-five. Okay, so uh, hours. I, I feel confident in asking you a few questions around. Does it does it feel like a ten-year-old game? Uh, I don't think it necessarily feels like a ten-year-old game. Final Fantasies uh, that seem to, uh, I mean, very obviously telegraph their age is how they look graphically, uh, and this thing looks absolutely flawless. So it really doesn't feel like a ten-year-old game. I think all of the classic elements of Final Fantasy are there. Um, but every time they bring a new game out, they they shake it up a little bit, whether it be the combat or the leveling system or magic or how you summon like what may have been GS or Edelons or summons and other previous games. So, yeah, it, it doesn't feel 10 years old at all, mate. No, uh, like because I've been realizing um, lately, I think just because there's been so many remasters of other games that not necessarily always does a game feel old because of how it looks, but sometimes like mechanically there's something about it. Like a lot of PS2 games you can really tell feel like a PS2 game just because of the way that they control, because I think like uh, developers are still getting used to using like a twin stick control and how that they can kind of manipulate the camera like that. I mean, do you find anything in the way, and obviously I know that Final Fantasy has evolved throughout the years with like its battle mechanics, like do you feel anything there feels kind of a little bit dated or do you feel that they've come to this one with like a kind of novel idea compared to some of the other Final Fantasies? Uh, I would say in terms of the way it controls and works in in a battle sense probably its closest peer is Final Fantasy 12 which was very much uh, open world in the sense that there were monsters free roaming as opposed to the sort of random encounter RPGs like Pokemon style where you just bump into something when you're out in the wilderness so it it, kind of has a peer there but the only thing I I would say is that the combat to me feels quite similar to like uh, an an MMO a classic MMO in the sense that you know you have like a a gang of monsters or something and and you're trying to hack slash your way through them and uh, at, at times it just becomes absolutely overwhelming to understand even necessarily where you and your other guys are on the screen so uh yeah i i guess that'd be the only thing really but as i say final fantasy it never is set in any particular time period uh and you know some of the games kind of have that classic feel or a steampunky feel like a futuristic feel so yeah the 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 look and feel um, and I don't really think it even has the control element. So it it, it it's all tended to be a part of kind of thirteen, wasn't it? Or at some point, but they've spun it off and and they've made a pretty good game so far. I mean, there are good points and bad points, which you, you are welcome to uh, to ask me about. Well, I mean, like one of the key things when you talk about Final Fantasy is the the characters and the story. And from the the outside looking in, what I what I see is uh, anime the road trip with a bunch of or with like a, a kind of Japanese boy band. But I mean, what are the characters like? Um, is there anything that feels like kind of typical tropes in the story beats of, of Final Fantasy, um, or do you feel like they they kind of push out 
and, and and try something a little bit different with the story or does it just kind of feel like typical fare? Uh, I think it has elements of, of a traditional Final Fantasy storyline. So like, yeah, the the <laughs> poor Japanese boys driving around in a car thing is quite difficult to get over initially if, if that's not the sort of thing that you're really into oh i, um, I, I completely the... enjoy that they've gone for that because it feels pretty different from what's been the standard fare for final fantasy characters and like as a concept yeah. if you will i mean i don't think the characters have have been kind of less wacky uh since final fantasy 8 maybe was the last one where all of the characters that you control are just kind of teens uh, and they're all attending the same academy and stuff, so they all have that sort of similar feel to them, really. Uh, but these, yeah, these guys are all just out on a road trip, essentially. One of them is a prince, uh, and he's off to get married. And you'd think that that would be a relatively straightforward trip, but obviously it takes a few twists and turns. And yeah, I, I think a lot of the traditional, you know, big concepts of like, battle for like humanity and and and, and gods and, and and magic and, and power and stuff are all in there like it, every final fantasy game has a big power struggle against like an authority figure that just kind of is getting a bit too big for their boots uh, and there's always like a faction and in this game that funnily enough they're called the empire and there's like imperial troops and stuff, so it's it's got quite a, a Star Warsy feel to it in in parts, to be honest. Uh, yeah, uh, and, and it's another Final Fantasy game that starts with the destruction of a city, which is always the way. So, uh, the, the start of Final Fantasy X, you know, yeah. uh, to a rather excellent metal track. Uematsu, and was that was really outside his kind of, I think his his genre at the time, but that was great. But yeah, it's, it's similar in that sense. So yeah. It, it is. It's kind of a, a, a sort of mix-up of, of everything we've already seen. And how does um, the the kind of exploration around the world, how does that feel compared to some of the others? Because I haven't played... The, the last one I spent any real time with would have been Final Fantasy X, and then I think I watched you or uh, one of our other friends play maybe 11 or 12. I can't remember which one. But, like, the it's kind of... a there's a standard way that Final Fantasy games are, where you, you, you have, like, your kind of central point that you start from. Uh, big event happens, then you go and you go on your adventure, and usually you go through a mountain at some point, and then you end up in the next town, next part of the story happens, and it kind of goes on from there, but with kind of wackier uh, locations. But because you have the, the car with this, like, does it feel, is it more open world, and how does the, the driving work exactly? Oh yeah, it's fucking massive. So it will just your initial drop, you get like maybe a third of the world map straight away, uh, and then you go two chapters through the game. Which, if you just follow the linear path of the game, is probably two to three, maybe four hours of gameplay, and then you've got like ninety percent of the world to to explore. Uh, and it has that kind of modern rpg element to it you know kind of that witcher skyrim thing of just being huge uh and the towns being and or, or like little settlements and outposts being quite far apart so there's just a lot of open countryside to explore you know and every region has its own different feel to it but yeah it, it seems to be a thing in games now where you have like 
just and good 60% of it there's nothing going on really you're just kind of running through trees or, or across desert and stuff like that uh, the driving is kind of weird because you, you want the ability to just drive over over land and sea as it were but it, it kind of keeps you to the road uh, and it doesn't let you really just do an awful lot to start off with uh, and, and, and you really want to so like you can only drive yourself at night to start the game because it's one of your party will drive you around and then by the time you actually get to the point where you can drive yourself around already you're kind of sick of the driving um so yeah it, it there's such so if i wanted to go if i was doing a quest or something and I, I wanted to go wherever they're sending me like it it will it could be like up to six or seven minutes of in-game driving were you to drive yourself uh, and not to skip it on auto and after a while considering the sheer volume of side quests in this game that does get a little tiresome so it's not you know gta meets final fantasy then no uh i it, it's a shame because that would have been quite cool but it it's it's kind of like they didn't commit to either one of those really uh it, it is just that you can tell the guys that made it were it, it for the first time almost influenced by external factors and influenced by like the witcher and it. there's a big witcher skyrim influence on this game in my opinion well because like, i'm i'm wondering um because everything that i hear about the game i keep in the back of my head like where would have this come along in the development cycle and i wonder whether because um, 10 years ago we would have had i don't think we'd have had gta 4 just yet because i think that was 2008 i want to say maybe yeah yeah but we would have still been we, we would have been getting into that um kind of open world sandbox era essentially and so i wonder whether at the time or where along in in development the developers would have been like oh here's an idea we could do this and i wonder whether we got to the point where you know they were so long in the cycle they were in the the development of the game that they went just fuck this just we need to get this out like we we wanted to have this kind of big open world area but i mean like can you um if you have a quest that you want to do, can you just kind of set a waypoint and then like kind of uh, just just let it drive the car drive for you, essentially? You can, yeah. So you can choose for your guy Prompto to drive for you or you can drive yourself or you have the ability to skip driving. So as I say, like chapter one, chapter two, you're like, oh, this is amazing. I get a car. I can drive it around. Uh, yeah, and the novel, you wears off pretty quick, to be honest. Sure. Because you've just got the one car there's loads of other cars around on the map but you can't just get in any other car and you can't drive over land you have to stick to the road it enforces you to stick to the road so that's where it's kind of a little bit yeah i mean if you restricted to me think about how much development time they cut off from restricting that and it's probably a smart thing because otherwise this game could have taken another two years to come out it makes you appreciate the un believable level of detail that rockstar go to when they make a grand theft auto or or i'd say like this you know people want to compare it to gta but it, it has more of a peer in red dead redemption i think uh in the sense that you just that there's this big open massive uh world like and and there's a lot of it kind of set in the, the desert uh in in the first couple of chapters as well so yeah that 
level of detail those guys go to versus what's in here but i'm not running it down by by any means no no Uh, sorry sorry down as i i have on the game i I kind of like there are i don't know about you mark but i'm a big video game completionist so if i have a game and you know i I, it's not necessarily even getting the trophies but to just to feel like you've got everything out of the game that you can get out of the game so there are so many side quests uh and they're just a little bit too inane and repetitive for my liking see this is my kind of big sticker for uh stickler sorry for um a lot of rpg games and it's kind of why i've been struggling with the final fantasy games because i am like that in that i do want to get everything i can out of the game but if a game feels too massive and will take too long i just don't bother and i move on to playing more rocket league or something um and i feel that yeah one of the issues with um games of this era is that they're very much into the you know trying to get as much content into the game and trying to have like here's a game that's 40 hours long 80 hours long but and i think you've just kind of hit the nail on the head there where they have a lot of side quests but a lot of them are either repetitive or mundane or don't really add anything um and is that very much the the case for this yeah like and and some of them are just downright annoying like i did one yesterday and it was you had to find five animal traps and they give you a big circle that looks like like i would say like 300 400 meters of game area if i had to put a number on it in diameter and in the middle there are two of these uh like kind of leopard like beasts called curls i'm not even 100 percent sure how you pronounce it i've only ever seen it written down uh, and they're they're really difficult to beat so once you get the satisfaction of beating those two you've then got to spend x amount of time in a wooded area trying to find five animal traps i was kind of tired at that point and i was like just fuck this mission right in the face and called up youtube and just looked at how to find the traps because i spent 10 minutes and i'd found two and i was just i i I wasn't having any of it and unfortunately there's a few missions like that some side quests are great like the hunts are great again that's why i say the the peer of this game is final fantasy 12 because that's something in Final Fantasy XII that I found very enjoyable to have the you know additional monsters that they referred to as marks in that game um, that you could just you know accept that and and go and hunt down and they'd be a little bit tougher than the regular versions of of that boss but yeah uh, yeah just I can't be dealing with it and the other thing that that kind of gets on my nerves just a little bit is the battles are just a little too chaotic for my liking i think a lot of people and i'm not averse to to a a a non-turn-based combat system i have no problem with that but when you first start the game you just you'll be thrown into a battle and there'll be five monsters around you and you know you've got four four people and they're all wearing the same black thing unless you change in game what they're wearing and they're all flying around and attacking and you know i'm not a crazy old man (laughs) who can't see where something's going you know i've still got pretty good eyesight and i must admit some of those battles just feel like an absolute (laughs) clusterfuck man i i I still find that quite difficult but yeah 
it, there's good elements to it, but I, so far I'm I'm not feeling like it's it's a classic of the of uh, the series or anything. But I am enjoying it. From what I've seen of the combat, it kind of reminded me. And I don't know if you played uh, Nino Cooney at all. I, it's it's a little bit similar, but as I say, it just has that MMO feel, um, that old school sort of everything attacking at once kind of feel. You know that 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 you need a party of people, except your party isn't controlled by you. Sure. Uh, you know, you need to run in Leroy Jenkins style and <laughs> just kill a bunch of stuff. That that kind of feel. All right. Well, um, I'll move on quickly, and um, I'll just uh, I'll, I'll quickly talk about what I've been playing, which is Dirt Rally, uh, which was uh, super cheap in the PSN sales for January, and. Uh, I enjoy a good rally game. I don't play rally games as much these days as I used to. Um, I used to play a lot of uh, V Rally and Colin McCree yep. back in the day. Um, yep, <laughs> me there, too. And there was another one called Rally Cross for the PS One. Uh, which never played Rally Cross. Which wasn't. I think it was called Rally Cross, but it wasn't. It didn't have any, any like, kind of licensed cars or anything. It was just this weird kind of small uh, PS One rally game, uh, which I played a lot of. Uh, back in the day but yeah i'm a big fan of, of rally games and i think what i like about it certainly compared to something like uh, the f1 games is that there's no real need to deal with the kind of fiddly technical um have these wheels have this suspension have this blah 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 like a lot of the time you can just kind of get in a car and go um and i find that driving around uh the environments that you are more inclined to drive around in rally rally games are more interesting than your kind of standard circuit track um i don't know how you feel about that but that's it's kind of why I prefer. Uh, no i completely agree and and i kind of feel the same way don't you think it's odd when you realize something about yourself that you haven't at any point acknowledged like i also really like rally games I, I could give a shit about watching rally on TV. Don't care. Yeah. But when it, I love a good rally game, and I don't have a good explanation for that. Maybe it is the emotional attachment I formed to Colin McRae and V Rally when I was a kid. But yeah, that, there is something a lot more satisfying about blasting through a jungle, like an Arctic field, and you know your guy calling out different bends and trying to hit them and, and get a good power slide and stuff. That just like a generic, boring grey asphalt racetrack just doesn't have yeah and I've, i mean i've always been more of a an arcade racer or kart racer like mario kart or, or whatever of that kind of absolutely genre but like dirt dirt rally is very much like a simulation rally game you know it feels very much the kind of weight of the car and the way that you turn you can feel the understeer the oversteer you can feel that depending on if you're on uh, gravel or ice or uh, concrete the car behaves you know, in comparison to, or in relation to what you're, the surface that you're driving on, but because because it's just a rally game, and because these environments are, uh, are you know, interesting and unique, and they change, you know, you're constantly kind of um, having to change the way that you drive very subtly. But you know, you you really feel that in certain tracks that you can't be as aggressive into the corners as you want to be. Um, and it's really satisfying, like when you get to uh, like a U-turn and you kind of hit it right, you slam on the handbrake and you just kind of perfectly turn in in kind of a circle around that U-turn and like get you absolutely back straight up and, and kind of head off back down uh, the, on the straight. Um, it's super super satisfying, and 
I don't know whether it's just because I haven't played a rally game in a long time, but like I was thinking, yeah, I've never, I've never kind of felt the the the, the graphic, uh, sorry, the the kind of physics, the way that they feel in this. And obviously, it's a PS4 game, and we've come along uh, in terms of technology where the the physics can feel as realistic as they do. But it's just it's got a super super satisfying feel to it, and like it, I've never been one to care much about a game running at 60 FPS and 1080p, but it looks phenomenal and runs as, as smooth as any game that i've seen I, there's only been one instance where i've noticed any kind of drop in the frame rate um but it runs like as smooth as any game as i've seen that runs on the ps4 uh just a really really enjoyable game to play that i picked up for i think like six or seven quid in the psn sales bargain oh absolutely um and it's got uh, you know, a, a bunch of different licensed cars. So there's your Super Impressors and Ford Focuses, and a bunch of cars from the 60s and 70s. Uh, and yeah, just just a really good game. Like if you haven't played a rally game in a long time, it's uh, I I would give it a recommendation. Yeah, I might have to check that that one out. Um, you know, with all the remasters and stuff that that are flying around at the moment, there is one driving game that I would absolutely love for them to remaster and bring out just so I could have a PS4 version of it so I don't have to flip back to a PSC to play it, and that is Burnout 3. Yeah, I, I've... I, we had a... Um, actually, I, I messaged um, or had a, a small interview with um, Alex, the, the kind of lead tech or the lead designer of Criterion Games about Burnout 3 and one of the questions I asked him was like do you think that um, a HD remaster might happen at some point and he was like yeah probably not going to happen um, which is a shame but even like a new Burnout would be great but I don't think that's going to happen but I do agree with you um, it would be really cool to see a remaster of that although I've I've been playing uh, I have Burnout 3 and uh, 4 I can't remember what they called 4 Paradise. No, no, no. There was one between. There was Burnout Free Takedown, and then there was one between that and and Paradise. And I always keep forgetting what it's called. Um, But they still actually hold up really well. Like I've been playing quite a bit of it over Christmas, and and they actually do hold up pretty well for PS2 games. Yeah, I can't. If I start playing Burnout Three, I have to finish it. It's so good. It's so satisfying. And that's another one of those games where if you hit a corner right or if you catch a car at a right angle to do a takedown or something, there is an insane satisfaction to it that you just can't explain. And it has that amazing crash mode as well where you're physically jettisoning your car into like explosive to make the best possible crash ever. And when you see a tuk-tuk like flying, you know, 200 feet in the air off camera, you just feel like you've won at life. Yeah, uh, we did a book club feature on that a few weeks ago, and uh, it was really good to, to kind of proper reminisce about that. Like, I, in some ways, I feel it's a really underrated PS2 game, but whenever anyone kind of talks about it, they're like, no, that's one of the best games on the PS2. So I don't know whether it's just um, I'm not in the right social circles to be talking about it, but uh, no, like, but yeah, Burnout, Burnout Revenge, that was it, Burnout Revenge and Burnout Takedown. I can't remember which one's which, um, but yeah. Both. Yeah, Revenge was kind of like a, a, an extension of Takedown. Kind of, yeah. It's- or or four is kind of t- well, it's not four, is it? It was paradise. Yeah, that paradise was back was... when, that was back when everyone stopped c- calling games like number games yeah. anymore. That was like GTA Vice City and yeah. stuff like that. Par- paradise was the more kind of open world uh, version of Burnout. Yeah, I-, I I wasn't feeling that as much, but yeah, that was 
that was back in the day of, of of Burnout 3 and SSX 3 and Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 3 and all the games with 3 in the title that I just seem to really Doom 3 <laughs> anyway we're going to move on now to the news So, Jack, uh, Resident Evil 7 looks absolutely fucking terrifying. I, it, I've it i seen bits and pieces, and it is, yeah, it's horrific. It's one of those games where you want to play it with the lights on and music turned up and the game turned down and somebody else in the room. <laughs> because, yeah, it, it looks... It, it seems like somebody gave them the remit of, oh, you know, Resident Evil hasn't been genuinely scary for a long time. So just, you know, basically, here's a here's a whole canister of nightmare fuel. Figure out how to put that onto a Blu-ray disc. I, I think as well, and I mean, we'll probably talk about it more next week because Dave has been playing it and I'm sure he'll have a lot to say about it. But it definitely feels like they, they realised the Resident Evil 6 was not particularly good and they'd gone as far in that direction as they could go like they had with the original trilogy of Resident Evil games they they made a switch they changed it up made it more of a third person over the shoulder action horror game with Resident Evil 4 which is you know is genuinely one of the best games of all that's time that's a cl- yeah and then that's they, a clap yeah and then they kind of misfired a little bit but I, I, I think Resident Evil 5 has its moments Resident Evil 6 is just a terrible game and they realized that they saw where the direction of horror games were going in relation to a lot of the more intense um, kind of first person, almost like indie horror games with stuff like Outcast, uh, Soma, and even like Slenderman, like the, I would almost call kind of the originate, originator of this new style of horror game um i may be way off there but i, I feel it's one of those kind of trendsetter games in in relation to this uh and pt i think um goes without saying i think that they've seen what those games have been doing and the reaction to them and what you can do with them and certainly with vr being this uh, platform now to make an extra level of immersion within horror and i still say and i stand by the fact that i think that horror is going to be the most effective genre to use with um with vr because i feel that it it can create that element of fear and anxiety that can translate across into vr more so than just being on the screen um and i'm never ever 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 going to go anywhere near that um i played about five minutes of alien isolation in vr and that was enough for me um yeah like from what i've seen like review wise um, it seems to hold up pretty well. Um, again, I'll let kind of Dave talk about that more next week. But uh, yeah, I'm like I'm kind of happy in a way, even though I'm never going to play it because a lot of people have thought after Resident Evil Six is like that's it, that's that's the end of this uh, this yeah uh, franchise tapped out. Yeah, and like they've had all these different other uh, kind of side games that they've been going along with um and they you know they keep pumping out one game after another but it seems like they they've really struck a nerve with this one and i'm i'm happy to see that take note people that make silent hill if resident evil can 
approaching its best, maybe we can have a, a decent Silent Hill game again, perhaps. No, Konami are focused on making pachinko Silent Hill machines, and that is all. But, but, but Konami make good decisions, don't they? <laughs> yeah, look, we, we haven't been to Konami Corner in a few weeks now, but there is a reason that we have the Konami Corner for Ineptitude Award on our end of year show. Uh, there, there is a reason. Um, Classic FM. At all. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. I just remembered they're fucking terrible. There we go. <laughs> Classic FM are to launch a new video game music show. This is from Eurogamer.net. Um, the station will host the UK's first weekly radio series dedicated to symphonic video game music. And everybody's gone to the Rapture composer and the Chinese Room co-founder Jessica Curry will present it. The six-week series starts on the 22nd of April and will run every Saturday from 9pm to 10pm. I think this is like a really cool... Um, it's a it's a really cool thing that's happening, and is more uh, like a it's further evidence that uh, video games are kind of crossing into other genres and into a more I wouldn't say classic FM is mainstream by any particular degree, but it's it's got this kind of crossover appeal that's becoming more apparent like year upon year, and I think this is a really great thing to be happening. Well, yeah, I think it legitimizes some of the absolutely amazing work that the. Com- composers do because you know you can have film composers will always get their nods you know you star wars would be nothing john williams soundtrack and stuff like that but there's an oscar like there is a highest level whereas there doesn't seem to be like a peer in terms of the composing of video games for that you you might get a shout out on on some dude's blog if you're an amazing video game composer but it kind of ends there like I mean, you just look at the two obvious game series straight away, not to hark back to it, but Final Fantasy and Zelda just seem like an absolute lock to be featured at some point in those. Like the the composing, the composition even of, of the music in those games absolutely is as integral to the games as the storyline and the gameplay mechanics. Don't you think? It, it, everybody's gone to the Rapture as, as well. It's kind of what was that two years ago now and that's that's another really good example of that really atmospheric post-rock thing just tying in with the, the isolation in the game perfectly and, and just bringing it out so i think it's nice that you have a recognition for genuinely talented composers who otherwise may be slightly under the radar and i, I think it's it, aside from like you know the odd show here and there like i, I know that they've done zelda or the royal albert horn stuff before but yeah you you don't get a lot of people giving it a nod uh especially not on a, a radio station to to video game music so it's great yeah i mean like we've seen um over the the last few years um there's a lot more and there's, there's like the video games live uh, uh thing that happens and like i went to see legend of zelda a couple of years ago at the hammersmith apollo and so you're certainly seeing more of the soundtracks being um either converted into kind of a, an orchestra or you're kind of made with that in mind so it's really cool like seeing uh the majora's mars soundtrack in orchestral form um or hearing like listening to because there's a load of stuff on spotify now like even the fucking pokemon theme uh or the pokemon soundtrack in orchestral form is fucking incredible uh so it's, it's really cool to see that this is happening and i hope it's um like along with that along with seeing stuff like um Diabrians go eat bit on the day channel uh seeing the return of oh geez what there's there's a game show uh what is it it's got 
It's got a chef. I think it's a chef who's hosting it. Who's actually? Yeah, I oh, Jesus. <laughs> Gary Rhodes. <laughs> I don't know. No, it's not Gary Rhodes. Jamie Oliver. I'm, I'm gonna total war chef. I'm gonna have to game show. Who is it? Who is it? Who is it? If please tell me that when you googled video game chef cooking, Mama come up. No. Um. I sorry. No. It's a uh, it's a show called uh, Time Commanders. Uh, and who is it? Who is the presenter of it? Uh, Greg Wallace. That's it. Oh, is he the Master Chef guy? Yeah. He is on fucking everything. That guy. Yeah, but like, he has popped up on every possible BBC program at some point as a panelist or as like a guest or. I don't know how he has the time. I feel like there are a few Greg Wallaces, and he is in multiple places at once. Is it, and this is a really niche joke. Is he like the? Uh, is he a version of Rovert? <laughs> yes. Uh, that was a really niche joke. That is... about. Uh, to be fair, the only people that listen to the show will probably understand that. Anyway, moving moving on. Mark, tell me about this next absolutely terrifying statistic. Okay, so we um going back to our kind of was it was that the Konami Award for Ineptitude or was it just the worst story of the year? I can't remember which one. Um yeah, so last year there was all the uh nonsense around Counter-Strike Go and the ability to gamble skins. And there was a couple of people that uh had made a website focused to this, but hadn't actually kind of given full disclosure that they'd made the website and was passing it off as, look at this great website I found. You can go and gamble skins and win money. And uh, they kind of got caught. Um, I don't know if they've actually had anything thrown against them. I need to look into that. But yeah, around $5 billion was made on Counter-Strike Go skins during the year of 2016. This is from MCV. Uh, Despite major publishers trying to crack down on gambling around their games, the sector has become worth billions. Uh, According to a new report by ESPN, citing research from um, some gaming advisors that I cannot name, uh, in the region of about 5 billion was made from in-game gambling for Counter-Strike Global Offensive alone, one title. Uh, the piece says that 40% of these are bet on esports matches, with another 3 billion heading to sites that accept skins as bets on gambling games such as slots, dice, or roulette. Now, considering there are no, and I, I think, I can't remember what Valve did, but I know they took some steps to, to uh, try and make some kind of cautionary measures around this, but it, there are no age restrictions for Counter-Strike Go, as far as I'm aware. Um, you know, pretty much any kid can kind of get their hands on it, and, um, like, I think the the biggest issue past the the transparency issues with what happened last year with um, Pro Syndicate and the other guy that I can't remember is the fact that you know you've got basically kids here who are being incentivized to to gamble uh, and real money as well and that's that's kind of sickening um, is is one way that I would put it uh, absolutely shocking I don't know what your thoughts on this are. It's not great. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. That's yeah. I, that's a similar feeling. I'll go with that. But you know, I think. Do you know what I think it is? And I, anybody that listens to sports podcasts will back me up on this. But in the last two, three years, seen the rise of these like one-off you know, you can win this if everybody puts this in kind of fantasy sites. There's a one called DraftKings where, you know, it's like a daily fantasy site. So 
you would say it, it, it exists for UK football, but like an American sport, say like one day there's like five baseball games, you make up like the best, uh, you know, scorers of run or, or the best pitchers or whatever. You and, and, and if you, you put some money into it uh, as a part and then whoever wins that little division that you've created wins a prize. So what it is is the fact that because America doesn't have legalized gambling aside from your big casino regions, your your Vegas's and your Atlantic cities, there are a lot of companies uh, and a lot of people that uh, some would call them evil or some would call them, you know, like bad, but others might call them shrewd. For, for instance, it depends what your 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 moral compass is like. They seem to have taken that exploit massive, huge market gap for the fact that there's no way of actually gambling in America. And, and they've invested crazy amounts of money in it. Uh, and, and DraftKings and stuff like that. Really, I feel like if America had like Paddy Power and William Hill and, and stuff like that, where you could just call up an bet on something i don't think these esports things would be or, or or like DraftKings would be anywhere near what they are but i think it's just people people who want to gamble will find a way to gamble but yeah the, the far more dangerous aspect of it is, is teaching that sort of bad habit to kids but yeah it, it's just america there's no legal gambling and that's a huge gap and and that's why these things exist now. Well, I I think the um maybe not so much for the the DraftKings. I think that there is um you can make a link there between that and stuff like Paddy Pal. But I think that the the Counter Strike Go is is treading down a different path in terms of the the audience that that's focused at. Um, certainly, you know, young adults, even younger than adults, shall we say? Um, and you know the fact that it took the exposure of this scam from pro syndicate and the other guy from last year for valve to try and clamp down on this uh, i think it speaks volumes about how there, there's like one eye on it but no one's really actually attempting to to try and do something about this um and i i think that's that's worrying i think that's really uh worrying um but it yeah. it, it is uh and the yeah so like as 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 i said there's kind of two sides of it there's the the big gap in the market but aiming at kids it's almost like micro transactions in games uh in games specifically aimed at kids as well is is a similar veil of evil so it's almost a new way of exploiting money from 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 the younger players of the game and it it becomes kind of addictive, doesn't it? Really, like okay, so I I'm in Farmville and I spend ten quid to get some fucking turnips. I don't know how that game works, but like there's not much difference between that and you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna put a, a tenner down and I'm gonna get a bunch of skins if I win. But yeah, it's just more people finding a way to use something that we should be you know lauding and and appreciating as art like like fucking airy fairy types like you and myself do wow. as a vehicle to make <laughs> as a as a vehicle to make money sure uh pokemon bank is finally out for sun and moon um so pokemon bank came out i want to say after 
Was it after X and Y and before Alpha Sapphire and uh, Omega Ruby? Am I correct in my timeline there? Yeah, yeah. correct. It, it was just after. It was just after X and Y. Yeah, and so the idea is that it was a way that if you had, um, you know, like copies of the game installed on your 3ds or you had one which was on cartridge and one that was installed it was an easy way for you to transfer pokemon between both the games really cool feature uh, and it works really well it's a little bit slow but it does the job um and we figured that it would be implemented into sun and moon they announced it would be um but it's only just come out even though sun and moon's been out for a while now uh which i thought was a little bit interesting um yeah i mean i haven't actually touched uh sun my copy of pokemon and sun for a few weeks now uh so i don't know if you have uh, uh tinkered around with with pokemon bank at all for sun and moon yeah i mean it's just come out like literally basically today so okay. Fair like uh, i i and i hadn't really gone much further into it but uh yeah it, it, it's cool um so the just being able to to get all of your stuff across from from ruby and sapphire and i think uh an x and y and i think it's something great that but pokemon have have done is make their series constantly backwards compatible like you can transfer from the original ruby and sapphire generation three as it were all the way up to generation seven now if you if you kind of gradually put them through the processes that it takes yeah, to get them up to those I games i think it's after like, it's fiddly but it, it's, it's doable it's possible i think because i was trying to do that when i um first moved over to ireland i had all my pokemon games and i was playing through um my copy of uh, heart gold i think and i was like i really want to get some of these pokemon moved over to um my copy of x and y and i can't remember why exactly but i just it wasn't possible like there was some something in the middle that that i couldn't uh get to work but it's it's insane that and i think they realized after the um after the gap between generation two and generation three where everyone had to start over again that they didn't have to go through that again and obviously that had to happen because they had to make the split between like special and physical um but like all the changes that they've made to the battle mechanics since then which really they haven't added too much it's only been over the last couple of games where they've added the z moves or the um the hell's in uh, the power mega evolutions. mega evolutions like it's nothing that they're all kind of tangible things that they can still take out they're not like core core mechanics to the the, the, ba- the battle system uh and so like it's yeah it's incredible that since what like 2000 and jesus when was generation three was that like early 2000s uh, yeah it would have been 2002 i think possibly yeah, that's like 14 15 years where you can go from a pokemon that you had then and have it till like current day that's really fucking cool it is um the only thing that that i've kind of tagged up on a little bit uh mark and just to bring it up so it you know it's now possible to bring all these pokemon in in a generation seven and stuff but something that i've noticed that seems a bit have become i mean it was always possible but it seems to become like a massive divisive issue in in like the online pokemon community is the fact that now it is insanely easy for you to hack essentially a pokemon into a game using programs for like windows or or mac and then just directly straight into your 3ds and it be usable 
in, in online competition as well. Um, so before Pokemon Bank had actually come out, they'd removed the restrictions uh, on the Pokemon from previous games being able to be used. And people were just using, like, I don't know, a Blastoise or something when you can't actually get that in Sun and Moon. Um, and, you know, there's I, I know this is something, a rabbit hole you fell down, but of having to breed and breed and breed to get a Pokemon that you want with the right nature and the right IVs and then EV training that Pokemon so it's exactly where you want it. And, you know, some people actually do this competitively to the point where there are Pokemon World Championships. Um, but it's just, it's so easy now to just be like, right, that team is the team that I saw a guy on YouTube using, so I'm just going to hack it straight away and do you think this is something that kind of nintendo should do something about or do they just go well fuck it there's there's not a lot we can do so we pretty much let this happen within our game and and no bother um it's it's a tricky one like we've seen with the switch uh they're, they're very much now opening up this this idea that there's no um global restrictions um which is really interesting when it comes to Pokemon. You know, you download like a Pokemon from Japan and it has its tag and it's all in Japanese and whatever. So, like, there's a lot of steps that they would have to go through to completely snub that out. And I, I wonder if the wormhole is too big now for them to uh, do anything about that. And the thing is, they might close this off. But then someone will come along and find another way around this. It's just it's how these things work. That's how hackers work, you know. Um, so it is a shame, but it's just it's just how people are. Like, um, you know, Lance Armstrong. There, there you go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, Lance Armstrong. But um, the thing the thing is, you get like guys go to the the so-called like <laughs> i don't know i feel weird saying world championships and pokemon in the same hey, look, sentence. it exists all right there it are exists. athletes i, I, I look lo- yeah i i don't think athlete is the right term for them esports e- e- guy is fine or esports girl great esports esports athlete oh my goodness me e-sport i think it's cool that there's world championship but there is there is no way if you gen slash hack a Pokemon now, there is even like built into the apps that you can do it like legitimacy checkers. So like it could just you know, you can re roll like the hash keys to do it and stuff and but there's no real way of stopping it. So yeah, there's this constant like I don't know if like there's any people that watch Pokemon YouTube out there, but there's like one guy called Ver- Verlicify or something, uh, and a bunch of other people uh, who who are like in VGC as the Pokemon World Championships uh, tend to be named, uh, and and there's this like open him calling out people for for hacking Pokemon, and then you know just even denying it or saying there's nothing wrong with it so yeah it's 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 weird that you have something as as a kind of kid friendly as pokemon and there's this huge moral war raging at the heart of the people that play it now dark underworld to everything let me tell you um but i will say this you go to those world championships and you'll be able to tell the difference between the players that have put the time in and understand all the the intricacies of how pokemon works and the mechanics and those that have just hacked a little system together and made their little team of six 
and then they're going to get destroyed. That's how this works. I have to believe. Are you telling me my team of six shiny waylords is not going to win the Pokemon <laughs> on World Champion? Well, I, I feel that um, in a true and just world that your six waylords would win, but what are you going to do? <laughs> I mean, what am I going to do? I'm going to start hacking now, my friend. Before you do that, let me tell you about Tekken 7, which has a release date confirmed for June the 2nd. Uh, I am a big fan of Tekken. I know me and you back in the day played a lot of Tekken Tag. Um, it's coming to yes. PS4, Xbox One, and PC. Uh, Bandai, Namco, Bandai Namco have announced that it will come in multiple editions at retail. The standard day one version of the game will come with a physical copy of the game and the Elisa character DLC, but there will also be a special digital Xbox One pre-order pack that includes a free copy of Tekken 6, which I didn't think was very good, as well as the Elisa DLC. All digital pre-orders will also receive Elisa as a downloadable character, blah blah blah. All the typical pre-order nonsense that you get with games these days. Um, there's also a season pass, which I will not be buying. Uh, I've seen some footage of Tekken 7. I've seen some... What the of... fuck do you need a season pass in for Tekken? Because I mean, they, really? they, they will they will be adding new characters. I guarantee you this is a, a new thing now. Uh, it's what I call the Street Fighter Five model. I'm not a particular particularly big fan of it. Uh, but I've seen footage of it. I, I saw they had uh, King of Iron Fist tournament qualifiers a while ago um, in London, which was interesting because Tekken 7's been out in, in arcade in uh, Japan for a while. And so there were some guys that were from Japan that had been playing it, and then there was all the guys from England that were having to play it for the first time. And, you know, Tekken games are Tekken games, so there are some similarities, but there are still a few bits and pieces here that feel different. Um, so that was very interesting to watch, but I think it looks really cool. Uh, there's this interesting thing with me where I feel like ever since Tekken 3, um, all the odd-numbered Tekken games have been really good, and all the even ones have been terrible. I thought Tekken 4 was terrible. I thought Tekken 6 was just meh. Um, but I think, like, 3 is amazing. I think 2 is amazing. Yeah, that is a good point. And I think 5 was, like, 5 was the perfect... Uh, kind of moment there where they ticked all the right boxes and I, I still think Tekken 5 is actually a really good looking game for the PS2 I think it's one of the best looking games for the PS2 still um, I never touched Tekken Tag Tournament 2 um, but to be fair like the sole reason why we played a lot of Tekken Tag was just for the bowling mode uh, which you know to this day is still one of the greatest things uh, I've yeah, ever done the, in the video the bowling game. Yeah, I I feel like the guys that made Wii Sports are probably one day sat around playing that bowling and going, wouldn't it be great if you could do this, but like with an actual thing that makes it seem like you're bowling? Yeah, unconfirmed I, reports. Mark. I know. Um, and the teaser is out there. The sorry, the trailer is out there, and it looks anime as fuck, which is what I always ask for when it comes to my Tekken. Uh, also, just to point out, there is a collector's edition that will cost £129.99, pence, which will include all available platforms, uh, the deluxe edition, including the season pass, as well as a 30 centimeter high statue of Kazuya kicking Hihachi in midair. I mean, I want to mock it, but cool. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> it does look pretty cool, in fairness. Uh, and our last story... If I, was a, if I was a big, like, Tekken aficionado rather than a guy that just enjoyed it casually i might consider that <laughs> that statue and uh, our, our last story uh, jack if you uh, if there was any game that you wanted to see become uh, in get into the world of competitive esports what would you like to see what game would you like to see ssx3 yep uh, that's that's a pretty good one anything more recent 
recently released. There was a game that they brought out for the London 2012 Olympics, uh, which... Not uh, Silicon Mario Mario at the Olympics. That's a terrible game. So nearly... Olympics, like a, a legit like Olympics game, and it made me and my friend Wixo nearly come to blows over the shooting in a game. <laughs> uh, I believe me and you played it actually, Mark, uh, but before as, at one stage when we just had nothing to do on on many of those nights. Uh, and yeah, it it, it was it was kind of cool. I'd like to see that competitive, but that, that's a very left field answer. Well, let me tell you, they plan to bring or Team Seventeen are attempting to make Worms WND into an esport. Ah, uh, yes, all of the yes. Now, I think there's actually like an interesting uh, an interesting element here because. Worms, to a certain degree, does have like a, a, a small thread of RNG to it. Um, now, like a lot of these kind of competitive esports, they're very much everything is kind of meticulously planned, and certainly stuff like uh, uh, fighting games, RNG is not a, a thing that exists there. Uh, it's you know, it's everything that you do counts and and matters. Although I think Smash is the exception there, which is why I don't like Smash. Um, and would like to see that removed from Evo. But moving forward, uh, Worms <laughs> Worms does have an element of that. So I wonder how how much legitimacy it has as a, a potential esport down the line. Um, but I just thought it was kind of funny, and um, I kind of want to see it because I I like Worms. I've always liked that game, um, and it's also kind of amazing that that's still a fucking game in 2017 being made. Yeah, Worms is one of those games where if you know absolutely nothing about even the concept of video games and you're like, oh, and someone's like, what's that in the corner of the room? You're like, yeah, that, that, that that's a that's an N64, say. Uh, that, what game is that? Oh, it, it's Worms Armageddon. Okay, great. What do you do? Well, you have four Worms, Dave, Worms, and you try and blow the absolute living piss out of the other Worms. Really? What can I do this with? Oh, your rocket launcher, a machine gun, a fucking sheep that you can throw at people, some sort of holy hand grenade. And like, it, the more you explain, the more somebody will want to play Worms. So that is the instant appeal of it. Uh, and, and no one cares about violence against Worms, poor Worms. Uh, so yeah, it, it, it's it's great. And can you, can you imagine... Like what? <laughs> it just. But as we just mentioned, as we just mentioned there as well, the the concept of esports athletes and worms. I can't be dealing with the term athlete. Can we please find something more appropriate? Um, there is there is calling a you know a darts player an athlete. Esports skinbag. My my favorite snooker athlete. <laughs> like come on there is nothing athletic about some things they may be competitive they may even be referred to as a sport i i don't have that much of an issue with that but athlete is not the right term well it's I, it, it's it's like i, I want to i want to sit the world fucking champion of worms next to usain bolt <laughs> and and say that they're both athletes well it's like the whole thing around um them adding a bunch of different sports to the olympics like golf 
um, you know, to what degree would you call a golfer an athlete? Like, yeah, I guess there is some physical elements there, and you know, you might get a bit of carpal tunnel in the arm, get a bit of strain going on there. But like, are you, are you really going to call them an athlete next to Usain Bolt? Now they kind of, now they kind of are. Like, I think in seventies and eighties, people just looked at golfers as like, you know, a fat guy like with terrible trousers a ball around fine you know people people think of john daly in the 90s of his fucking mullet and his drinking problem and just assume that's what golfers are like if you look at rory mcelroy now who is pound for pound the best golfer in the world when he's on this game he is a he is an athlete he is ripped to shreds he can hit a ball like 350 60 yards and and he you could say he is an athlete uh but yeah but like I, 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 i I feel there's there's still a, a point to what I'm saying there that um like yeah there's a whole bunch of sports that they they seem to be adding to the Olympics which you know fair enough they want to expand it and that's grand and all but um yeah like certainly calling a darts player an athlete seems a bit of a, a stretch and I don't just mean the t-shirt around the the midsection um what I'm yeah tra- don't get me wrong Michael but he is not an athlete no i'm trying to think of um some of the nicknames that they have for barry shippies um i'm pretty sure one of them would uh be kind of sufficient to to name an esports player but i can't remember any of them off the top of my head uh i know one of them <laughs> was naked venom Na- well yeah I, always, I knew you was gonna fucking bring that one up <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh anyway anyway um we're gonna move on we are now going to talk about uh, a game that was a very large part of my childhood and Jack's as well and Dave's as well but you know he's not here to talk about it Uh, we are going to talk about the excellent Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2 Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2 is a skateboarding video game, the second in the Tony Hawk's series of sports games. It was developed by Neversoft and published by Activision in the year 2000. It was first released for the PlayStation, with subsequent ports to the N64, Dreamcast, Game Boy Advance, Mac OS, Microsoft Windows and iOS. It was also released for the Xbox on November the 15th, 2001, as part of the Tony Hawk's Pro Skater Times 2 collection, featuring the first two Pro Skater games. Critically acclaimed upon release by critics and fans of the series alike, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2 remains one of the highest rated video games of all time, as well as the highest rated sports video game. Now, there's a, a couple of things I want to talk about when it comes to THPS 2, and one of them is the fact that, A, 
I thought it's it's important to stress that I believe it's one of those games where it expands upon the original to the point that while you can appreciate the original for what it is, if you if you tell someone to play a Tony Hawk's Pro Skater game for the first time, you kind of say start with two and then work your way forward because there's nothing really in the first that you don't get out of uh, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater Two. That's it's kind of the standard bearer for the series going forward. The other thing is how kind of culturally significant that game was at the time because like for me personally that came around the time where I was starting to uh, really kind of figure out who I was as a person but also really start to uh, get uh, an interest and appreciation for music and two of the areas where I uh, found out a lot of new stuff was uh, one was Jackass and the other was Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2, uh, which kind of had like a, a merging uh, at times, if you will, because Tony Hawk's appears on the series of points. Um, and like we, me and you, you know, we, we kind of grew up together listening to a lot of different music. And I feel that an, an area where we got actually quite a bit of influence was through the likes of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2 and some other games of this nature where they had these um, kind of licensed soundtracks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is kind of this game is why I love Rage Against the Machine. Uh, you know, you, you you turn the game on and, and Gorilla Radio just comes absolutely exploding out of the speakers, like the massive, brilliant tune that it is. And and all of a sudden, you know, a, a love of an of a band and maybe even like an entire genre is enhanced because Hawks puts together all of these excellent songs. Uh, and serves them up to you i mean it's something that they've consistently done throughout the series uh and yeah this is a, a really great collection uh, of tunes on this one and it, it perfectly kind of blends the sort of hip-hop rock metal punk things together that that people that are into the skateboarding and that kind of general scene that you would sort of do there they tend to be into that sort of music and yeah as a kid it's like a whole just box of, of of here's a bunch of stuff you probably haven't heard because maybe like 12 or 13 at the time and and, and off you go uh, <laughs> probably onto napster at the time or something like that more or less oh, it would actually be about four or five years after playing tony Hawk's pro skater 2 that i'd actually realized that that was rage against the machine or like who rage against, rage against the machine really were like um i don't know what how i had made the connection at the time or how i didn't make the connection to a few years uh, later but i remember the first time that that game started and that intro appeared and Gorilla Radio starts blasting through. I'm like, oh, they, they, I like this. This is something I can get on board with. Because uh, I remember that I was, um, I think I just recently around that time purchased um, the Green Day um, International Soup Hits collection. And so I was very much kind of starting to get into like punk rock. Uh, and so like that whole game, and again with Jackass as well on top of that, like this whole kind of punk rock uh, culture, even to a certain degree, subculture for what Jackass was doing and and skateboarding as well. Um, it really kind of opened my eyes this whole thing that I'd never seen before. And you know, and this is before we even start talking about the game. But I feel that that there's a lot of kind of cultural crossover there between that Jackass and and, and other stuff of that that nature. Um, that. I didn't really begin to appreciate, actually, until recently, how much it, not necessarily shaped my life now, but, like, certainly 
throughout my teenage years, and I'd imagine for a lot of other people, um, was a really kind of powerful thing, uh, more so than just being a video game. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, you had these great generations uh, of music and culture, uh, you know, going all the way back to, like, the 50s and, and 60s, 70s and stuff like that. And kind of the one when we were growing up was that sort of punk rock slash new metal slash rap uh, and the kind of jackass of it all and, and the early stages of the internet and and all of those things kind of developing around the same time uh, and the way that people were interacting with, with, with music and video games was was developing as well and that kind of does form an entire basis of cultural identity for for a young person you know to have all of these things kind of intertwined like oh so you like this music you like this band or you know you like that kind of music and that kind of culture um watch this show it's it's really great or watch this film or you know that is cool like if it's something you get into then Like, I belong to this, you know, and it must have felt the same. I, I'm not comparing it and saying it's better or worse, but it, it, every generation kind of has it. I, I don't feel like it's happened recently. I, I think like the last big explosion of, of culture, probably, especially out of like um, England and the European scene was maybe like the indie music movement. And then after that, it's kind of there's a little bit, bit of EDM hasn't really done it but th- this was the early 2000s you know like it's so i, I totally get that and yeah we-, we haven't even started talking about the game but it it it's kind of informed by that period uh very much that sort of lifestyle i thought the last culture explosion we had was casual racism but i might be uh might be confused there. <laughs> oh dear yeah anyway um so tony hawk's pro skater 2 is a game now obviously we had the first one uh, a couple of years before that and there had been a couple of, of skateboarding games but um none that had explored the the 3d space and um, so 3d had been around for a few years at this point and um you know this came towards the tail end of the ps1's life cycle and um what i what i like about Tony Hawk's is that, you know, it's very much uh, an arcade game. You know, it doesn't take skateboarding in any way seriously. Um, Certainly not in the way that the skate series would later on, which I have an appreciation for in an entirely different way. But it reminds me, to a certain degree, like a kind of coin-op arcade game. You know, you're given two minutes, here's the environment that you need to run around, uh, here are a bunch of different things that you need to do. Uh, And it doesn't take itself too seriously. Um, and it kind of it complements the the nature of a, like a collectathon type of game, like say Banjo Kazooie, but it adds this skateboarding mechanic on top of it. And the thing that works is the way that this skateboarding mechanic is uh, it feels so seamless and smooth, um, and the the kind of chaining and linking of combos on top of trying to collect all these things around this environment and the kind of exploration that game ask you to do it's like an incredible merging of of almost like two different genres uh like one that has barely ever been used which is skateboarding and then one which is this kind of um exploration not platforming but the the kind of exploration parts of games like spyro or um banjo kazooie which i was very much into at the time like crash and, and and spyro um but it puts this kind of 
a skateboarding sheen on top of it and uh and you know creates this whole new genre essentially yeah um well you mentioned that if you were to suggest to somebody to get into tony hawk maybe play tony hawks too straight away because hawks pro skater very felt like a tech demo for for what they did in tony hawks too like it was such a stellar leap in in level design and the way that the game flowed and 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 the way that you know your character went into combos and and came out and 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 transitioned between jumps and ramps and everything everything just felt so much smoother uh the level design is just it it it's so great and you know there's even for like the people who have that trait in them the the exploration trait pretty level in tony hawks 2 has like a little secret area where you have to do a certain thing or grind over a certain you know rail or do a jump into and land somewhere and and it really does reward you know hours spent in the game trying to find a particular line to to make a jump to do a trick or or trying to hit something that that would make something happen like that add that element of intrigue and chaos to it that you know tony hawks very much was like right do these things and and this will happen whereas that there was like that little bit more to tony hawks too that just kind of hooked me in and yeah the level design um absolutely amazing like i don't know how you feel mark or or what your favorite uh area of the game is but i think school two is one of my favorite levels in any and I don't say that lightly, but I think as like an environment um, to play around in and, and, and get a feel as to what is Tony Hawk's, it's absolutely perfect. Yeah, um, I I have a few levels. Like I like the the simplicity of, of Hangar as a way to give you an introduction to what the game is. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I also, uh, I think some of the later levels i really like the the boring the mexico boring the the last kind of level uh is <laughs> yeah that, that's great yeah it's like that there's a challenge to it and it kind of really tries to bring it really forces you to um have got gotten down the the, the grind mechanic because uh, you have to do a lot of that to get the high score um i think that yeah i, I definitely agree that like there's such a a, a an expansion between the uh, hangar area and the school area like you immediately you have such a kind of larger area to work with um in terms of the things that you need to explore the hidden areas um and it really straight away like ask you like you need to be able to uh grind you need to be able to get like good air um and you need to be able to kind of see where ramps might lead to other areas to you know unlock other areas within the game and uh, one of the, the things that needs to be mentioned is like the the tiniest implement that they added in this which for me changes the whole series and is the kind of big shift between tony Hawk's one and tony Hawk's two is the introduction of the manual because now well now you could link yeah. kind of and chain combos together and get some kind of crazy scores going um and the the tension as you are trying to kind of grind and hit a manual and get enough speed to hit the vert because this was before you could kind of transition out of a or invert out of a a vert move and then go back into a manual that would be introduced in tony hawks 3 so there's the challenge of not to say that tony hawks 3 made it easier 
But there certainly is more challenge with Tony Hawk's 2 because you have to really think about the lines that you're going to hit because as soon as you start trying to chain a combo together, you are restricted to a certain degree because there's only so many vert moves that you're really going to be able to hit in any one given uh, chain or combo. Uh, And I think that that's really where everything that you learn in that game kind of uh, is is what helps or certainly for people that played the series throughout uh, everything that you learn is really from kind of Tony Hawk's 2 going onwards and I think a lot of that is the introduction of the manual in Tony Hawk's 2 yeah yeah I agree with you I think it it changes your concept of what you you can do in a combo completely it blows the whole thing wide open it it allows you to to keep something alive for that much longer and, and is a way more rewarding way of chaining tricks together like it having a line that you don't have to just end because you know there's no ramps or whatever just to keep going up to that next ramp and and, and regain and stuff and, and it is it is really cool and it, it adds another element of uh to the game you know because you've got you trying to keep your side to side balance on a rail and now you've got to keep a, a a similar if anything trickier form of balance on a manual as well so yeah I, I love the manualing and I think I I like the simplicity of the classic manualing in, in the Tony Hawk's 2 and 3 and then like as they developed it in Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 4 which is also my, my second favorite <laughs> Tony Hawk's Pro Skater game they had the like a bit land and go completely Rodney Mullen on it and stuff but yeah I, I, I must admit when I played uh, um, like the, the remastered version of, of was it it was kind of like they had half levels from Tony Hawk's uh, Pro Skater and half levels from Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2 and a few of the songs and stuff from the game uh, and it, it really did give me that nostalgic feel of just like oh right okay yeah this is what Tony Hawk's was like before they added the insane complications that you could do in moves and it, yeah it, it, it makes it a lot more playable yeah was it was it Tony Hawk t- Tony Hawk's Tony Hawk's four which took away the the time limit was at five that was tony hawks four and i think tony hawks it was tony hawks four and i think it was hugely influenced by a game i i'm sure mark's heard me bang on about uh uh, ends forever but not many other people have ever played it it was a game called aggressive inline yeah sure (laughs) um it's my favorite uh, um sort of extreme you will probably behind tony hawk's pro skater 2 um and that was the first game that was truly like okay this is an open world and and to get your you go and talk to an npc kind of just like you would in an rpg and and you level up similarly because what a lot of people don't realize about tony hawk's they look at it and they're like oh it's a skateboard game but it's not it it's it's an rpg uh and it you know it's an exploration game and and it and it kind of serves a few different masters and when when they accelerated the the series that much further on like you know having like a whole storyline and everything maybe it got a little bit silly but just to have the pure simplicity of like right here's your guy uh who are you going to pick uh, i'll choose steve caballero okay great steve caballero so he starts off in hangar and he's got this much stats and by the end of the game you will have 
you know, leveled up, use your cash that you find in levels to buy more stats, to get better, to learn more moves, to get more specials, and and to gradually, by the end of the game, achieve your goal of being like the best skateboarder you can be. There's a lot of kind of hidden gems that appeal to people that like a lot of different game genres in, in Tony Hawk's. Tony Hawk's is an RPG. I'd never thought of that one before. <laughs> but it is. It... It's, a, it's a very basic rpg no i i see i see where you're coming from it's like how is it that much different to you know like something like hitman now that's got six chapters (laughs) well i I don't think i don't think like how is it different to like i i don't think uh you're gonna see uh agent 47 hitting a boneless off a, a vert ramp or seeing tony hawk strangle someone with piano wire but i digress um one of the other things that was introduced to tony hawk's pro skater 2 was the uh create a park mode um or the park editor sorry as it was called and this was like a really kind of eye-opening thing as well because i'm trying to think of any other game at the time where it gave you the ability to kind of create something for yourself because the only thing at that point that i would have off the top of my head I can think of was um, and actually in the original Worms you could kind of create your own environments and where you wanted weapons but stuff like um, uh, Smackdown and Attitude and some of the wrestling games at the time would let you you know kind of customise your own wrestlers um, and gave you a little bit more freeway with that and making pay-per-views but here you know you had your own park that you create and that was it was very limited at the time you had only a certain amount of space that you could work with and they would expand on this with, with uh, future instalments of the series but just even be able to to create a, a small kind of skate park like something that you would see in real life was a very kind of empowering uh, feature, and I really enjoyed being able to create these small parks and um, kind of really get kind of immersed into to creating uh, these kind of small worlds to myself and and making these kind of little lines and trying to recreate stuff that I'd seen in the Jackass skate videos and and CKY uh, as well. Yeah, I mean, like, how good is it to be able to build your own environment based on something that you really enjoy? Like, Mario Maker is a game that came out, what, a year and a half ago? And that is an entire game centered around that concept of, like, you are the game dev, go and do whatever the hell you want with a level. And, yeah, it, it, it was quite a simplistic feature, but not only is it kind of revolutionary in terms of, like, the ability to to change the the nature of the game yourself and to be you know it probably sparked some people's interest in 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 creating video games and stuff but it also 100 percent we were saying earlier that, that there's a very diy thing about skateboarding you know like you see guys like um bob burnquist and tony hawk like uh, when skateboarding was kind of less popular, just building these massive ramps and transitions and stuff in their houses. So, you know, if you can be a skateboarder and go and plywood and, and set it up, you know, in your local, outside your local shop and jump up to a grind, then got Tony Hawk's video game, then why can't you go and get yourself a quarter pipe and stick it next to a grind and, and come up with an awesome trick line? Like, fuck it. Like, that is absolutely everything that skateboarding embodies and to be able to do it in a video game in a similar but slightly easier fashion than you would do in real life when you know you're trying to just not fall off a skateboard if you're somebody like me is very satisfying i've just had an idea super tony hawk maker 
uh there you go man like there you go like that that some of the tony hawk's level creation things got so ridiculously detailed but it just kind of almost took a back seat i think in the games as as they went on and what people were looking for them but there were some really great options to create levels in tony hawk's and it's kind of a little bit ahead of its time like if it had been sort of five six seven years later uh and you've got the proliferation of you know something like little big planet which is i i I don't know you can correct me on this mark but the first game i can think of where people were uploading things that they levels that they created online and 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 people could just go in and freely explore it and stuff like that um yeah i mean like i'm trying to think i'm on console anyway obviously because you you have mods of things no but i I think i think one of the tony hawks games had the online capabilities where you could do that but i can't off the top of my head remember which one would have been doing that it it, it's it but i think i don't know whether it came before a little bit i guess it's kind of a moot point anyway it might be i think there might have been one of the ps2 games had it um but yeah like it's it's but even not even if you can't um upload it still like i could come around to your house you come around to mine and you've got your memory card with your save file and say hey look here's a park i made have a look at it you know um i think that was a really good way of extending the the longevity of the tony hawks games by having that uh, ability um to to quickly kind of or start to to round this up um talking a little bit about the legacy of, of tony hawks um the the reception of tony hawks uh, the playstation version of the game received a score of 10 out of 10 from game informer uh famitsu gave the game boy advance version 33 out of 40 it's a bit of a different game to be fair uh official uk playstation magazine yeah, the, the game boy advance version don't get hung up on that no, because it, no. it's not the same thing. <laughs> the uh, the official UK PlayStation magazine gave uh, said the game was the seventh best game of all time, with Game Informer named it the fourth best game ever made in two thousand um, and one. Uh, and on Metacritic, Pro Skater Two, along with Soul Calibur and GTA Four, are ranked second behind The Legend of Zelda: Ocarina of Time. It's fair to say that Tony Hawk's Pro Skater Two is. Um, I wouldn't say maybe an influential game for video games, but it's one of the most uh, popular, one of the most appreciated, one of the most revered for uh, that early uh, kind of 3D life and uh, the, on the PlayStation 1 and, and all the ports that would come afterwards. Um, and I think it's just it's a, a real kind of celebration of uh, that culture of the time with uh, skateboarding itself and the music. Um, but it's all held together in a really sh- just well-crafted package. And, you know, there are some games that I feel got kind of left by the wayside that did certain elements like better, like you said about Aggressive Inline, for example. Um, but, like, I-, I feel that Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2 certainly stands the test of time, and I think it's fair to say that uh, even for a game that was released in, two- in 2000, um it's probably a lot well no it is better than tony hawk's pro skater 5 look look can we just not talk about tony hawk's pro skater 5 because that hurts <laughs> like that really hurts that is fully seeing your ex-girlfriend with a new boyfriend and she's way different and you don't understand why you liked her anymore like that that's what that is and also she can kind of now clip through walls for no reason yes she all of a sudden hangs upside down prone in the air for a few seconds and reappears on the other side of the 
yeah, it's a sad state of affairs for uh, what I think is most likely a series that's um, probably not coming back, uh, just because of the way that's all ended. Um, the but it did it, what it needed to do. Like it, they tried to reinvent it with the kind of Tony Hawk's ride and stuff, and yeah, you know, actually was... having the board and that, I mean, that was a good idea if it actually worked. Fair, like it's a cool idea, but. If it worked, but also I don't think that, you know, the what the Wii did to gaming was a blessing and a fucking curse because all of a sudden everything has to be an interactive version of of what you already love that you can actually get this attachment or that attachment, you know, like, sure, the Wii was an excellent experiment you could do with motion but like then everybody got super obsessed and even tony hawk got sucked into it and the board was so cost prohibitive as well it wasn't just like guitar hero where it was like a cheap like fucking mattel guitar that you could get but it it was just it was an absolute disaster and the point i'm trying to make mark is that i don't think there is a lot more that that can be achieved in the skateboarding tony hawk video game genre more than they have now like what would be cool would be perhaps a genuine retrospective of like say every sort of tony hawks game up to the point where they ruined it which was around project eight in like hd that i could just play forever like so i didn't have to go into the individual games but like in terms of modern uh video game climate i don't think it would have and longevity that it had back then because it, they've just kind of done it and that culture has moved on as well a little bit which which also i think is a very influential thing in like the declining sales because i still think the quality of tony hawk games through like underground and even american wasteland i thought was 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 really cool because that was kind of a throwback to the 80s diy skates I just think that that generation of people that like the game, like me and you grew up and they kind of grew away from playing that sort of thing. And, and yeah, they, they desperately try to cling on for relevance and, yeah, and no, it didn't really go anywhere. I, I do agree with you. I do think as well that um, to a certain degree, a lot of those people moved on to the skate series because I feel that that series offered something different, um, but a good kind of different. It, it kind of stripped things back a bit um, and made everything that you do more meaningful like a, a suddenly a kickflip was actually a very meaningful thing to pull off within a series of uh, kind of smaller chains that you had to try and do and it was really focused on finding those lines and, and it added a, a level of realism um, that was very much lost with Tony Hawk's towards the end not that it was ever particularly there to begin with so I think um, it made me miserable mate I, I, I really? can't even tell you yeah, I can't tell you how miserable Skate made me because I am a very clumsy man, as anybody <laughs> that knows and loves me it will tell. I know that I cannot skateboard and I never will be able to bust a 900 or a fucking kickflip nolly or any of that shit, right? So to then play a video game which is a more represent a more realistic representation of skateboarding and suck at that as well. I, I played it for like... 45 minutes to an hour uh the original skate and i said no this is not for me i do not want a realistic representation of something i can't do and then not be able to to do that and i'm not saying it's a bad thing i think it's great and i think like it's 
it's something that, that kind of needed to happen to give people a more grounded idea of what a skateboard trick actually felt like and, and, and meant to pull off but it is to me it made me fucking miserable uh, well, another game that will also make you miserable uh, is Ollie Ollie and Ollie Ollie 2, which are more kind of pixelated 2D skateboarding games, which are brutally difficult. Uh, really great, really well-crafted skateboarding games, but also like in that super Meat Boy level of difficulty. So if you hate yourself, I'd recommend them as well. Can I just recommend Aggressive Inline to everybody as well? <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely... I, I, I... That's absolutely absolutely acceptable. It's a great game. I, I, it's so good. Like it is so good, and I, I really think that. I mean, if that had been a skateboarding game, it'd be lauded. Maybe not as much as THBS two, but it would be in the same sort of conversation as maybe Tony Hawk's Four or Tony Hawk's Underground Two, which I thought was a pretty good game as well uh it's just brilliant it really is and it's got an excellent snarky sense of humor to it and and the levels are absolutely huge like i think that was 2002 as well and as as a way of technical achievement to think that that was kind of like two years on from what tony hawk's pro skater 2 was it is just mind-blowing and the soundtrack as well has an excellent mashup of the sort of metal punk and and hip-hop too like it it has the feel of the tony hawk's game so I've quickly just gone and looked because uh, a I, lot of them, and yeah, I, I I never knew who actually um made Aggressive Inline or who published it, but it was made by a Acclaim. Company... No, it was it was published by Acclaim, but it was created by a company or developed by a company called Z Axis, who actually also uh, made BMX XXX, which is that really terrible BMX game for the PS2, which had um uh, breasts and was trying to be a, a more kind of uh, it was basically Edgy the, Dave Hoffman. Yeah, <laughs> Matt Hoffman. yeah. Um, which was yeah, that was a terrible game. Uh, yeah, I have no idea. Like, because a claim was bought out a couple of years ago by uh, Jesus. Who the, who the bloody hell bought them out? Actually, I'm gonna have a look now. Uh, a claim were brought out by Throwback Entertainment, who I don't know who they are. Oh, they're based in South Korea. So yeah, you're probably never seen uh, another aggressive inline game, but it's actually it is a very underrated and underappreciated piece of the ps2 uh, back catalog uh so yeah play tony Hawk's pro skate 2 and play aggressive inline there's our recommendation for you from this edition of the book club absolutely so we're uh, we're gonna wrap things up uh jack thank you very much for coming on to uh to talk about some video games uh while dave is away i very much appreciate it um I mean, to be fair, we should probably just talk more gen- generally and often, you know, without having to record a podcast to do it. Uh, but no, thank you very much it, for coming on. Yeah, yeah, we're separated by the by the Irish Sea, um, but yeah, that there is there is certainly more effort that could be made. But I don't know if you listening to this, you could probably tell that we're we're not the sort of people that uh, put huge amounts of effort into uh, lots of stuff, apart from the things that we, we really uh, enjoy doing. So yeah, uh, staying in contact is something that I, I think I could get better at with anyone. Anyone that's my friend that's listening to this, just fucking drop me a message and say hello. <laughs> it could have been years. <laughs> so quickly, uh, if you want to contact us by the mailbag, you can at linktothecast at gmail.com. Um, we're still waiting for our first email 51 episodes in one of these days we'll finally get a question or something we'd be great 
Uh, you can contact us at Twitter at link to the cast. Uh, it's also for Facebook and on Twitch.tv as well, where we have our streams, um, where we try to get some kind of daily content or at least a couple of streams a week. Uh, I'm playing Day of the Tentacle at the moment, the remastered edition. Uh, that's on Monday, Wednesday. We're playing Down with the Witness, which is giving me a is close to giving me an aneurysm. Uh, <laughs> Did disturbed right the soundtrack to that game? No, no. Uh, it's, it's a little play on on a particular disturbed song. If I'm guessing you've clocked onto that, so well done. Uh, and on <laughs> Friday, uh, we uh, Jack, oh, sorry, Dave is playing. What is he playing? Life is strange. Uh, so uh, keep an eye out for them. And on Thursday, we have the podcast, which drops as well. So uh, yeah. Keep an eye out for all of that. And obviously you can go to YouTube, find us on Link to the Cast. Uh, we are, I think we're beating Anne Robinson for the uh, the first kind of mention of anything to do with Link to the Cast or the name Robinson, hopefully. So yeah, keep an eye out for us there. Uh, Jack, thank you very I'm much. I'm going to be beating Anne Robinson. One of these days, maybe. <laughs> any mention of Robinson. <laughs> I think that's I think that's ambitious. We're you not need be- a catchphrase like... You are the weakest link. Goodbye. You don't have that, I'm afraid. We're definitely not beating Tony Robinson because, uh, you know, Time Team. It's a classic. Baldrick. He's a good lad. Uh, Jack, do you have anything you would like to plug before we head out of here? Uh, I'm at Jack Laser on Twitter. Drop by and, and, and say hello if you fancy it. And yeah, just the concept of sandwiches. Like, I mean, brilliant. Like, just what do you do? You get two pieces of bread and you put some food inside it. Great fucking love sandwiches we will be uh having our new podcast on in a couple of weeks about the sandwiches uh, sandwich club come and join us it'll be a good time <laughs> sandwich club the first sandwich on sandwich is you'd have thought uh, it's a great idea eh? uh... <laughs> anyway uh, we, we we will end on that high note. So until next week, thank you very much for uh, for listening. I've been Mark Robinson. He has been Jack Lazell, and we will see you again next time. <laughs>